Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong, and I get to serve as directing pastor here at St. John's United Methodist Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our desire is to be a beacon of faith and service, focusing our passions and gifts to reflect Christ's love to the world. You are invited to join us each week at 9 a.m. for a time of traditional worship or at 11 a.m. for contemporary worship. Thanks for joining us for this online version of the sermon. The scripture today comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34. Don't store up treasures here on earth, where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. It isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing. Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is the word of the Lord. I wasn't poor growing up. I wasn't rich growing up. I just grew up and childhood was normal. My mother was a highly qualified school teacher with advanced degrees and many years in the same district, so her income was steady. My father was a commercial electrician, and so when there was work, the pay was good, and when there wasn't work, there was determination. So we'd go where he'd have to go and do what he'd have to do to make sure that the family had everything we needed. I was taught important lessons about delayed gratification and the importance of setting goals, the joys of being generous. It wasn't necessarily a religious approach to our finances and stewardship, but it was moral, it was practical, and it was helpful. Still. There was a season when I was pretty sure that the solution to just about every problem I would face in the future would be money and lots of it. Whatever problems and excess of money could cause, I would have been very eager to face. We had assignments when I was in middle school where we'd have to write a letter to people we admired and wait for a response, maybe an autograph or something like that. These were actual letters that we would write down on paper and put in an envelope, put a stamp on there, and send it through the U.S. Postal Service, and then have to wait something like weeks to have a response given in the same manner. It's kind of insane to think of these days. But I remember specifically writing to a couple of people for this type of assignments. One was Arnold Schwarzenegger, and the other was Donald Trump. I had no knowledge of their character, 
their philosophical leanings or their future political aspirations at the time. I'll offer no judgment on either person today. All I knew then was these guys were famous and they were rich and it all looked pretty good to me in my early teens. But now my role models and heroes are a little different. They're people who I see focused on a different kind of treasure, a different kind of reward. I don't get it all right in following yet. They don't get it all right in their efforts. That's fine. We're all trying to lean in that same heavenward direction, though. And that's where Jesus takes us in this morning's passage. In the past few weeks, we've seen Jesus' efforts to unite this very diverse audience that had come to hear him. There were religious professionals who were known specifically for their hypocrisy and the non-religious outcasts who were renowned for their immorality. And they're all being called together by Jesus, who is uniting them through the humble declaration that each of us falls short of God's glorious standard, and each of us would be separated from God eternally, and we're all in desperate need of a righteousness that no person in that crowd had achieved except Jesus himself. Because Jesus is very early in his ministry when he's preaching this message. He's not trying to build some sort of coalition or trying to establish some institution at this point. He's deconstructing. Jesus is trying to help people unlearn some very harmful things that they think they know about religion, that our efforts might earn God's favor, or at least God's preference, over our differently sinful neighbor, that our religious life guarantees that we'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise, that looking good is the same or better than being godly. Jesus is dismantling all of these soul-poisoning and divisive ideas to plant right-side-up values in the hearts of his listeners instead. Jesus' goal here is to set a plumb line, a standard against which the audience can measure their own righteousness. Some in the crowd may be hearing Jesus' words and thinking, this guy doesn't get me at all. My life isn't anything like what he's saying. It's not relevant to me. But I want to be really, really clear here. It wasn't up to Jesus to make his message relevant to his audience. Because God in flesh came to teach with power and authority, it was up to his audience to make their lives relevant to Jesus' message. Jesus used stories and illustrations that people would identify with for centuries to come. But if Jesus is who we proclaim him to be here, it's more incumbent upon the listeners to align their lives, our lives, to the gospel of Jesus than it is for Jesus to make his message better align with our lives. The discomfort and discontinuity is part of Jesus' work of deconstruction. He's making us better fit for a heavenly kingdom by digging into our deepest thoughts and desires. And that leads to our first lesson this morning, we reveal our true desires through what we store, through what we store. Jesus says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves can break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, their desires of your heart will be also. There's some ups and downs to being an itinerant pastor in the United Methodist Church. So far, with Edwardsville St. John's as our fourth appointment, the longest that our family has ever been able to stay in a place at any given time is about four years so far. And I'm really hopeful that we'll get to break that personal record in this place. But 
One thing I appreciate about the frequency of our moves to this point is that we can store up a lot of unnecessary stuff over the course of four short years. Packing up and moving forces us to look at things that we haven't opened in a couple of moves and say, is that thing really coming with us again? I've got boxes of music CDs. I don't think I even have a CD player anymore. We've got the just-in-case box of cables and cords. I've got so many hats. I've only got one head. Now, I'm not a candidate for hoarders or anything. I'm a little too OCD for that, but I am sympathetic as to how people can forget to purge over a handful of decades, give or take. If all that stuff, if all those things that I had stored and packed away got leveled in a tornado today, I'd be sad. One of the reasons those things are still with me is because they hold some sentimental value. You've got stuff like that too, probably. But those same types of events remind us that if our family is okay, if our loved ones are okay, that stuff is just stuff. It can be replaced if it even needs to be. I'm not taking it with me when I die. Amy may secretly pitch some of it sometime to see if I even notice or if I mean what I'm preaching today. But Jesus was born in a stable. He lived homeless. He died as a criminal. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. The perfect love and obedience he lived out was not re rewarded with stacks of material possessions. That was not his calling. Instead, we read how the Apostle Paul referred to what Jesus did, how he lived in Philippians chapter 2. He says, but he emptied himself taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. Jesus was a conduit of blessing. What he received, he poured out in service. And accordingly, Jesus tells us that our hearts follow our treasure or our money. We think it's the other way around sometimes, that we will invest in what we love. And maybe that's true to some degree, but Jesus is forcing us to look at things differently. He's inviting to think first, what do you want your heart to look like? What do you want your heart to look like? And then invest in those things. Pour treasure into that, and our hearts will follow. That leads to our second lesson this morning. We reveal our true desires based on where we stare. We reveal our true desires based on where we stare. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, the whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. In his book, Everything and a Kite, comedian Ray Romano writes about driving his five-year-old daughter around one day when he noticed she was looking out the window and smiling nonstop for like 15 straight minutes. And he couldn't stand wondering what that smile was about any longer. And so he asked her, what are you thinking about? Her smile widened even further and she said, candy. Sometimes reading our desires can be so simple. That little girl was not staring at a piece of candy, but she could probably picture the exact candy that brought that smile to her face just as plain as day in her mind. What she wanted was crystal clear, and it was clarified with a single question. It may not be so clear to many of us, but Jesus wants to bring some clarity to us. Jesus tells us that whatever we look at fills us. Whatever we fix our eyes upon, those are our desires. And sometimes those desires can get upside down. Where do we stare? 
Whenever I'm not living out my fully sanctified life, I'm staring at stuff like used Apple watches on resale websites. Or maybe I'm staring at Twitter because the humorous dysfunction of people on that particular social media site are a few more degrees of separation removed from my life as opposed to something like Facebook before I deactivated that account. There's nothing wrong with looking at many things, and probably even most things, but when we focus or stare too much at something, that's when we think, if I'm full of what I'm staring at, is that eternal? Is it helpful? That's a valuable heart check that Jesus gives us. Lesson three, our loyalties are shown through who or what we serve. Our loyalties are shown through who or what we serve. No one can serve two masters, Jesus says, for you'll hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, money is not evil. There's a, a misconception, but I'll clarify a little bit of what Scripture says about money. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's the adherence to money, the allegiance to money, that leads people craving money to wander from true faith and have pierced themselves with many sorrows. But money is itself morally neutral. But you've probably noticed that money can be a relentless slave master when it, come, it becomes the God in which we trust. You notice that throughout this sermon, Jesus hasn't asked for any of it. And yet his earthly needs were always met. I guess it does help when you can multiply loaves and fish. You're not going to go hungry. Now, we can have savings, insurance of all kinds, and a stable income. There's nothing wrong with that. But none of that is our true security. It's not ethically bad to have those things unless they become our God. And sometimes, especially in the developed global West, we save, insure, and income our lives into thinking we have no need for the grace of a Savior. And that's incredibly haughty, and it's dangerous, especially when, throughout this discourse, Jesus is reminding us that this need for the grace of a Savior is exactly the need which unites us all together. And that leads to our fourth lesson. Committing to Christ's kingdom is the cure for worry. Committing to Christ's kingdom is the cure for worry. Jesus says, that's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food, your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant, harvest, or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make clothing, yet Solomon in all his splendor was not dressed as beautifully as they are. There was a, a preacher's wife who was going out shopping for new clothing. The family was on a, a shoestring budget at the time, so the money was limited. There was a, a little bit of a discussion before the shopping trip took place. Now, we're, we're really trying to cut back right now, so, so make sure you restrain from spending too much. The wife comes home a little bit later with a bag from a pricey, recognizable designer store, and inside that bag was a, a very expensive dress. And the pastor asked his spouse, Honey, what, what happened? She said, I felt 
lured into the store. It's like there was a, a magnet that was pulling me towards this very dress, and I sensed the urging to try it on. And just as I tried it on, I heard the devil himself whisper in my ear, you look fantastic in that dress. You should buy it. The pastor said, honey, in those situations, you know exactly what to do. You say, get thee behind me, Satan. And the wife said, I did. And Satan said, it looks great from back here, too. <laughs> That's not autobiographical, by the way. Jesus tells us to consider the lilies and how they don't work. My wife and I are still uncertain about the wisdom of naming our oldest daughter after something that Jesus specifically says doesn't have a job. But we try not to stress over that. We can trust that God will always provide for her needs, for our needs. Maybe not our every want, but God will cover our needs because, Jesus says, if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why have so little faith? That prompts one of the greatest rewards that God can offer us in this life. Jesus says, don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all of your needs. Worry is an outward sign that we don't find God trustworthy. Worry has lies that tell us that God is not with us, that God does not intend good for us, that God is maybe incapable of meeting our needs. And when it comes down to it, worry is the opposite of faith. Worry and fear keep us from truly living for the kingdom of God. Worry keeps us at broken when God says we are blessed. Worry keeps us at stay when God tells us to go. Worry keeps us silent when God says shine and glorify. Worry keeps us at selfish when God calls us to share. And worry keeps us at fear when God says be strong and courageous. Jesus tells us seek first the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. I spent a good deal of my early life wondering, how's the stuff in this old book relevant to my life? But because I've seen and experienced God's relentless faithfulness, I stopped trying to make Jesus' kingdom fit into my life. Jesus is asking my life to commit to the kingdom of God. And it's relevant because that focus will tend to everything I'll ever need. And it's the best way I know to make the world around me just a little bit more loving and just a place. And I want to be useful, maybe even just faithful to the Jesus who showed me my need for grace and who so selflessly laid himself down so that my broken and uncertain life could be raised up for now and for eternity. When God gets first place in our lives, everything else falls into proper place. The God who loves us, cares for us, knows our needs, and will provide for them out of the abundance of his grace. The psalmist sang, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Here's a secret. The reward to pursuing God is more of God. God is not a means to an end, but the most satisfying of all pursuits. And we can chase the depths and riches of God's relationship with us from infancy to elderly and never run out of new mysteries and joys. Our God is more than enough. Seek first the kingdom, and God will provide everything we need.
Would you pray with me? Gracious Lord, you have provided for us in ways that the, the stuff of this earth never have and never can. And so God, we pray that our hearts would belong to you, that our first and foremost desire is to be faithful to you, to the goodness of your kingdom, that our lives would be transformed to become more relevant to this gospel of grace that is the, the power to give life that is true, abundant, and eternal. Lord, we pray as we allow you to check our hearts, to shine light in those places that we're unaware of or sometimes we hide, that you would bring about a new hope, a new faithfulness, a new joy as we learn more about your goodness. We offer ourselves to you for these purposes and for your glory. All this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.